I want to talk this morning about the struggle you have to accept in following God. And we're going to use uh, Timothy as our verses today. And what I love about Timothy, uh, the books of First and Second Timothy, is these are Paul's letter to Timothy. So these are a, a father's letter to a son, and more so than a teaching instructions for a church. And so I think there's a more intimate understanding we can get out of the books of Timothy than much of the other scripture. And we're going to read, start in, uh, well, let's start in Second, First Timothy chapter 4, just to start off. First Timothy chapter 4. And I'm, I'm sharing this because I want to make sure as we move forward into revival. Revival can be described many ways, depends who you're talking to. Our heart, I believe, at the prayer center is to allow God to bring a revival through us, or through anyone, uh, that he has always wanted to. One of miracles, but not just miracles, also one of proper doctrine, one of love, where people experience love and not being used and abused, one of holiness, where people pursue holiness, not just a move of God, not just miracles. And because we've all experienced people who are preachers, or maybe not preachers, but representing God, who maybe shine in one area, and uh, but they're dysfunctional in all the other areas. So you may have someone who can walk in miracles by the gifting, and then they start teaching about who God is, and they'll say something, we'll see the miracles, so now you have to listen to what I have to say, because obviously God has put a stamp on approval on all of me. you know. So, Or we see someone who can prophesy, they, they know how to read your mail, give your address. you know. And that's always been interesting to me, because the first time you hear it's very impressive, but after that it kind of gets old. You know, so you can read my address, but I got a sick baby here, right? (laughs) And, uh, you know, but basically a lot of times as people of God, we find that we shine in one area. And I'll never forget my old pastor taught me years and years ago, don't allow the area you're strong in to lead you. Look at the areas you're weak at and confront them. And I'll never, that was when I was 19 years old, I learned that. And it's kind of like the guy that goes to the to the bar, we'll say, and he hears this beautiful woman, sees this beautiful woman singing, and she's got the most beautiful voice, and he starts to pursue her. I want to marry you. I want to marry you. Doesn't get the nor, but just keeps pursuing her. And finally she says, yes, I'll marry you. And they go in for the, the honeymoon, and she takes her wig off, and then takes her arm off and her leg off, her fake arm, fake leg. And he's looking in shock, and he says, well, sing, baby, sing, you know. And if we're only impressed by the one area that someone's good at, we'll be disappointed along the way by the areas that they're not good at, which would be a revival without holiness, a revival without love, a revival of miracles without proper doctrine. We're believing for a revival that lasts until Jesus comes, not one that pops up for six weeks, six months, and disappears. And we can look at many little fire, little fires that have started, but after six months, a year, they go out. <laughs> and so when we read through Timothy, we find a very practical look to following God. In fact, when we look at the qualifications to be leaders, walking in the power is not even mentioned. The only thing that's mentioned is proper doctrine and holiness, character of holiness. The walking in the power is not even mentioned as a qualification to be a leader in the church, according to the Apostle Paul. According to the Apostle Paul, what qualifies you in God's eyes to be a leader is holiness and proper doctrine. And so we want to learn that. And then we're going to learn a little bit of Timothy here that I really appreciate. And we're going to go to, where are we? First uh, Timothy 4. We'll start in verse uh, uh, verse 6. If you instructed the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the word of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. And what he's mentioned in here, the qualifications that he's instructed the brethren, is the holiness. 
in uh, chapter 3. Verse 7, but reject profane and old wives' tales and exercise towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all. Having promise of the life that is now and is of which is to come. This is a faithful saying uh, worthy of all acceptance. For to the end we both labor and suffer reproach. Can you say that with me? In the end we both labor... And suffer reproach. Now, I'm going to pause here because I've been on a vein of trying to show the, the differences between the path we're on and the path that others are on. And, and in showing the difference, it's not to belittle the other path. It's to let you know it's okay. The path you're on is not wrong. Because sometimes you go down a path and you hit hardships, struggles, battles, warfare. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And then someone, you know, Pastor Dave used to say, we're praying and seeking God, and, and we got a, a church, and everyone's praying and going through hardships, and some pastor drives by, and they got a big church, and they're driving in their Cadillac, and they drive by, and they see your broken-down car, and they say, well, you know, you just got to believe like me, brother. Just believe like me. But they're on a different path, and I'm not trying to belittle that path. We appreciate, and God loves anyone who preaches Jesus and anyone who brings people into the kingdom. But the path you're on is allowed. It's not wrong. And many times when you hit the wall of struggle and, and battles and hardships, that's when you start to question, well, am I wrong? What am I doing wrong? Maybe I don't have faith. It's like the guy who called me and said, you know, I own a car dealership, and I really love your ministry. I'm going to start donating a bunch of money to you every month. And I was when I was young and I got all excited. You know, now you don't get excited when someone makes those promises. And I was like, all right. And then we didn't hear from him, uh, you know, which is normal. I don't want to say that. No, that's not normal. And, and then he contacted me a few months later. He's like, I'm really so sorry. Everything was going great in our business, successful. And then as soon as I called you and told you I was going to send you the profits, Everything went to pot. No one's, you know, the car dealerships around me were going shiny and busy, and I lost. I just my business went down. And see, you can serve God without the battle, and that's why when you get someone coming to give you advice on how to raise your kids, most of the time that's advice from someone who's not been through a battle. They serve God without the battle, and so they have no problem. Hey, this is what I do. You should do this. Someone with their health, someone with their marriage, someone with their business, with their ministry. If they've learned how to serve God without going through the attack of the enemy, they really can't give you advice, can they? But people who've been through the battle, the warfare, they can share the path that you're on. When I was a young man, there was a a guy that I shook his hand, and he's an old-timer, as they say, and I shook his hand, and his hand, because he was a miner, worked in the mines up in northern uh, B.C., British Columbia, Canada. And when you shook his hand, there was about a, a, a good inch, that's exaggeration, but a good inch of calluses on his hand. And so when I shook his hand, it was like raw, rough, tough leather. And he never had to tell me that he was a working man. <laughs> he never had to tell me that his life was about hard labor. I could tell just by shaking his hand. And that's the same way with you. When someone comes up and shares wisdom with you, they don't have to tell you that wisdom's coming from, I've been through the battle, let me encourage you. You can just, you just know it by the shaking of their hand. Hey, we're on the same path. And so the message today is to encourage us to keep going and to not be discouraged because of the battle we're going through. And this is really a lot of, of Paul's advice to Timothy in, in encouraging him to walk through the things he's afraid of. And, you know, he told him, you know, God's not given us a spirit of fear, love, power, sound mind. A lot of Christians quote that, but they, they don't quote it correctly. That is a model for someone who's walking into God's will, and everything about them is screaming to them, you're not good enough, you're not qualified, you're going to fail. And what you end up finding out that because you have a body, an outward man, and an inward man, a spirit, 
that God finds faith in your spirit, man, and says, oh, you got what it takes, let's go forward. Well, he ignores your hour, man, which is screaming at you all the reasons why you're going to fail. Many of us have walked with God and come to a place to where everything is screaming so loud, you're wrong, you're not good enough, you're going to fail, and everything, every negative thing anyone's ever told you comes up, and all that voice that's screaming to you, you're going to fail, uh, it's not going to work, is your outward man. While inside of you, or inner man, is a faith that God saw, and that's why he called you forward. And he said, you know, basically said, you need to learn to ignore your outward man and trust your inward man. Trust that I believe in you because you're ready to take this next step. How many of us have been through that where you follow God, but you heard screaming and had fear, but you still follow God? See, that's just your outward man. And God promotes us for different reasons than the world does. Let's jump over here to Second Timothy. Now, I want us to see here that God has called Timothy. Paul left him in Ephesus to be a pastor while he was a young man. So God called Timothy to pastor this big church as a young man, and that brought fear inside of him of failing. Uh, And that fear was from his outward man, while God saw in his inner man that he was ready. And, And so he moved forward in that, and it caused hardships of people leaving him and that type of thing. And Paul's letter to him is a, a letter of comfort, encouragement, and a kick in the rear to keep moving forward. Don't be a baby and change course. We'll start in verse 1, chapter 1, 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son. Once in a while, there was, I remember there was a man who was... Uh, dying of cancer, and he was basically, he wasn't saved, but he was, you know, he had three months to live, and it was very clear that the doctors couldn't help him. So he wrote a letter to his kids and did, a, I think, a video blog or something where he laid down his heart to his kids. And so when you're talking to friends and people, that's different than this. This is different than a generic letter to the church as a whole. This is a father sharing his heart to his son, who has followed him in the walk of faith into ministry. Now, we know Timothy wasn't his actual son, but he was kind of his spiritual adopted son. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want us to really see here, this is like, if I had to share anything with you, my son... As I'm leaving, this is what I want you to know. Okay? I thank God, whom I serve with pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Now I'm pausing. I'm going to make lots of pauses here and do a little preaching as I read. But I love this because it tells you that Paul believes in prayer. And we need to be people who believe in the power of prayer. The moment you stop believing in the power of prayer to change things around you, you believe in the power of do. If I'm not, I don't believe prayer is going to change it, so I'm going to go do it myself. The way to change circumstances, the way to change your family, the way to change the nation comes from these words right here, that you believe in the power of prayer to change things. And that means you're willing to pray more than you're willing to do. I used to harass my sisters to get saved and bother them and hunt them down and manipulate them to try to get them in church. So much they started to avoid me. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to stop preaching to them and you need to just love them and pray for them. And I said, God, well, no, I'm doing my job. I'm doing my duty. I'm sharing the gospel with them. He said, you're doing that because you're afraid that your prayers won't work. So you're taking it in your own hands. You're afraid they're going to go to hell and that your prayer doesn't work. And he said, leave them alone and pray for them. And then my sisters began to appreciate me being around instead of trying to run from me every time I came over. 
We need to be people of prayer who believe in the power of prayer, no matter what the circumstances say. Many times I'll hear people write me or contact me and say, you know, I was praying for my aunt and for her to be saved, and she died, so she's in hell. I'd write back and say, well, if you're praying for her to be saved, why don't you, I mean, you can believe whatever you want. You can either be tormented every day that they're in hell and you failed, or you can believe that maybe they went to heaven. And so I'd rather lean on the heaven side than the hell side and trust that, you know, my prayers worked. God would not let her die unless she, somewhere along the lines, made a decision to follow God. And that doesn't mean they have to announce it to the world or to you. You don't have to lead them to the Lord. They, in their last moment, last breath, could have a, a moment with God. You know, it's very easy to be humble when you know you're about to move on. The power of prayer. Prayer works. Let's keep praying. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your... See that word, tears? This is a gospel where tears are allowed. This is a gospel we're in. Much of the American church preaches a gospel of strength, of dominion, of financial blessings, of perfect health. And we aspire to all of those things, but not through our natural dominion or natural power. In the world today, if you are a alpha male, in other words, you're the strongest man or woman in the room, I guess I say alpha female too. But if you're an alpha, you're you're walking on. Every crowd has a group, everyone, a bunch of personalities, and usually the one who's the loudest, the most opinionated, the one who's not afraid to speak their mind, rises to the top, and everyone else submits to that alphaness. That's like a you can say in in the natural world the one with the most testosterone, because they say it's not the the way the dog fights; it's the the fight in the dog. I think something like that that. You have a smaller dog dominate a bigger dog because it's, it's more fierce and less afraid. Well, we can find that in the natural and raise someone to be a leader who's not God hasn't raised up, that man has raised up. Pastor Dave rocked my world one time because I was talking to him about a preacher who went from having a uh, one little church to having a gigantic 20,000-member church. I thought, well, look at how God promotes people. It's amazing. And Pastor Dave said, well, Alan, yes, God does promote people, but sometimes people promote people. And it rocked my world that when I got to look at it, this man had changed his message to appeal to more people. And when he changed his message with a charisma and a natural ability to articulate things and move people, that they flocked around him. And, and I realized that that is much of the church world today is how many people can I attract and how do I attract them? It's dangerous because your message will evolve with the culture and your method will evolve with the culture to try to gather more people. And I'm all for changing our methods. The method isn't necessarily sacred as much as the message is to get people saved. But once they're saved, God wants them on a road to maturity, not just fill a bucket full of People getting saved and just leaving them there to, to stay babies. So here, again, this is Paul writing a letter because they didn't have phones back then or texting or email. So these letters are substance. I'm going to write a letter. I probably won't hear from for you know six months if he even got the letter. I thank God whom I serve with pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, verse 4. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. So the tears here, in context, I believe are tears of fear, of moving forward into the calling that God has placed on him, and feeling inadequate and not ready. And also the tears of being abandoned and attacked personally, uh, doctrinally, and all the things that come with being a leader. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwell first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. So he's reminding her him of the faith that came from his grandma and his mom, which I love this because it tells you that if you walk in faith, you can pass that down to your kids, a faithfulness that, hey, 
Your grandma didn't run. Your mom didn't run. So you don't need to run. I'm sure you're tough as they are, aren't you? You know, you surely is you're as tough as your grandma. Come on. Because that is the only option. Either you face what God has you face or you run. And you find a religion that allows you to serve God without facing the things that you're afraid of. Boy, that's a message right there. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. Now, this gifting is not so much like the gift of miracles. It can include that. But here in context, I believe it means more of God called you. And with the calling, he's equipped you to do the calling. In other words, the place to find the ability to do what God's called you to do is not in your natural man, your natural skills, your natural charisma. How many, when you follow God for a while, praying in tongues, when I say following God, you're following his leading, you find that, you discover that a lot of the strengths you used to have, that you used to lean on, have disappeared. I remember I used to be able to do lots of things. When I was 19, I was started in full-time ministry. And I could do more when I was 19 and didn't know anything in some areas than I could do today. And this path of prayer in the Holy Ghost has helped me to let go of my natural ability to serve God and trust in Him to work through me, with Him being my strength, not my own ability. And that is another message right there. Therefore, I remind you, so He's saying here, I want you to remember that it's the gift of God in you that's working to do what you're supposed to do, not your own strength which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So I'm going to pause there because I want to ask Gary, but how many people have come to you in, the, in all the years and said, will you lay hands on me so I can have that gift of entrepreneurship or I want the gift of teacher. I want, I want what you have. Just lay hands on me. And, it's, you know, and there's preachers out there who sell that. You know, come and I'll activate the gift on you. Well, you can't do that as a preacher. It's not yours to do. You can obey God. I can look at you. My job as a leader is to look at someone and say, I see God asking, is promoting you. I see that God has put a calling on you. So I will acknowledge what I see God is doing. And as I lay hands on you, I'm simply acknowledging and agreeing that God is putting you in a stronger position. It's not my ability to go, you Come with an offering and I'll lay my hands on you and you get the anointing that I have. Come and lay an offering at my feet and I will activate pow, the, the power of God in you. There's so much wishy-washy spiritualism going on nowadays. It's ridiculous. And remember, you deserve your pastor. If you pursue that, you'll get that. If you seek God, he may change the way you're walking. For God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. So the message in verse 7 is fear is not an indicator of truth. And that God many times will ask you to do way more than you think is possible. And every ounce of insecurity you may have, every ounce of unworthiness you may have, will rise up and shout to you as you're following God, what are you doing? You're not ready for this yet. And I've heard people say, well, when the fear leaves, then you're ready. And that's kind of hogwashy because you can find another path that doesn't make you confront these things that you're afraid of, and you can still serve God in the natural. And you say, I don't have fear. What are you afraid of? And most of my life, if not all of my ministry life, has been doing things I'm not capable of, doing things that other people are better at. I remember when I was asked to be a youth pastor, there was two or three men around me who were much more capable, who wanted that position, partly because it was you know, a large church and partly because it had a paycheck with it. And I got it. And I mean, they gave me trouble for the years I youth pastored. And I remember when I stepped down so I can go to Tennessee, and God led me to Tennessee, they bumped me out as quick as can be. The guy who wanted my job and bothered me for three years, who got my job after I left to be youth pastor, kicked me, cleaned out my office for me before I even had a chance to do it myself. 
it was, I was so disappointed because I wanted to have a kind of a closure there, you know. And I was only 21, 22, but I wanted to have a little bit of closure. And he lasted three months, and he quit because he just, it was, you know, if you take a position that you make, you might fail if God hasn't put you in it. But if you're in there because God placed you there, that's why you got to quit seeking your own agenda and let God lead you. Because if God places you there, you have everything you need to succeed, even if you don't feel like it. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So do not be ashamed. I want to just put a marker here. Have you had financial struggle believing for something? Have you had personal struggle, family struggle, friend struggle? Have you had struggle in your calling? God, I'm the most faithful person around, and why are you not promoting me to my calling? I'm praying, I'm seeking God. And he says, don't be ashamed when you're going through the battles. They're not, battles are not a mark of failure. And he says here, almost they're a mark of success, that you're going through a battle as a sign the enemy's afraid of you. The ones who aren't going through a battle, usually the enemy's not even afraid of them. Why bother with him? But he's afraid of you because if you get to where God wants you to be, you might change the world or at least rescue some people from hell. Or worst of all, you might make your own Timothys. You might reproduce what's in you into other people. But share with me in the sufferings. Oh, this is good faith preaching right here. For the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Here it is, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Right there, I would say this is the line that separates the revival that we're after compared to what a typical church is after. Typical church is after trying to build the church. And in good motives, we want to build the church, build the kingdom of God. But if you've ever been in a typical church, you'll find that all the focus is, is usually on trying to bring more people into the church and to keep them. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. That means that if you took all of your ability, your natural ability, it's not going to bring any pleasure to God. He's not interested in it. Now, he may use it, but it's not what got you there. So if I can sing, you know, I notice that God doesn't call people like me to lead worship. It's interesting that the, the only ones he calls to lead worship are people who can carry a note. So there is, he does use our natural abilities, but it's not our natural abilities that got us there. It's that you come to a place to where you've laid that down as the reason why God's going to promote you and have come to a place of humility where he's able to promote you, not because of what you're offering him, but because you believe that he's all you need and you actually have nothing to offer him. If you understand that, you can say amen to them. Who has saved us, verse 9, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life, immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed as a preacher. Now say appointed. See, he didn't climb the ladder to be a preacher. He didn't rise in the ranks when Elisha was called to be the junior prophet to Elijah. All he did was pour water on the hands of Elijah and run errands. Everyone didn't know him as the junior prophet. Elijah didn't say, all right, I have a word of the Lord. Elisha, come up here and I'm going to train you how to prophesy. No, he he was only known as the one who poured water. Everyone around Elisha, Elijah thought Elisha was only a servant. But what happened when he received the mantle, the calling, the calling is what promoted him to be the prophet, not him, his training. In other words, it's better to get around, be placed around someone so you can become a son or a daughter 
and learn from them than it is to just try to pursue and chase and make a way for ministry. To which I was appointed, not I didn't climb the ladder to it, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, what's the reason? Because of his appointment, his calling, I also suffer these things. So this is a letter about a son going through suffering as he follows God, and a father who's been there and, and gone there, encouraging him how to walk through it and not how to avoid it. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. This is powerful. I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I had some friends of mine, some guests from another nation that loved Pastor Dave, but didn't know the prayer center. And uh, they said, we're coming to visit. I was a little bit shy, I guess. I wouldn't say embarrassed, but a little bit timid about them coming. Because, you know, in that nation, when they think of Pastor Dave, they think, well, we must have a huge church of 3,000 people all praying and a beautiful building. You know, we're all driving, I won't say Cadillacs. Cadillacs aren't the fancy car anymore. Lexuses and, and BMWs. And I thought, man, they're going to see the church and they're going to, you know, because, you know, our church here isn't about building this church nice. It's about building people strong. So we take our finances, we pour it into people rather into chandeliers, as Gary's called them. And uh, I'm the chandelier of the church because the church has poured into me over the years so much. I'm the show. I'm what shows the success of the church. You're what shows the success of the ministry, not our building. Well, you know, and we make fun of the slanted floor here. The the dove almost tripped me up here while I was coming up and and uh, on the carpet. And the first time I preached here, I was wondering if the Holy Ghost was coming on me because I started to feel pulled. And it was because I was on a slanted floor being pulled down. And, you know. <laughs> and so they showed up and I was like, yeah, this is the ministry. Okay. And well, you know what they said? They said, I found a place, a group of people that aren't, don't care about money. That's all. That's what they got. Not that we were failing, but we were succeeding in that level of character. And I think a lot of people need to realize that in the Christian world, that success isn't always the nice house and the nice car. Amen to that. Verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until the day. So your walk with God isn't about how many people you change. It's not about how people see successful you are. It's about you making a commitment to him to follow him, and you keep that commitment to follow him. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith, and love which are in Christ Jesus. So when you're going through a difficult time, suffering, struggling, maybe someone talked bad about you, judged your motives, hurt you, those type of things, unanswered prayer, this road to revival is way too long. Hold fast to the words which you heard in the beginning. We might call this our blueprint, but the things that God told you when you started haven't changed. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Now this is really personal. Timothy, all those who came with me to Asia stopped walking with me. Now remember, he says, do not be ashamed. So we're not to be ashamed when there's a war around us. We're to be encouraged that we're still in it. All those in Asia have turned away from me. And that's amazing, all. So Paul is standing by himself when he went with a whole mission group together, you might say. Among whom are uh, Phygilus and uh, Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of one, one Sephorus. <laughs> Now, this is interesting, for he often refreshed me 
and was not ashamed of my chains. So here's a, a man who walked with Paul, even till his chains, and it looks like he supported him and encouraged him in different ways. And walked with him through the, the hard levels, level one, level two, to when he was in chains, when he was accused of things, when he was attacked. This man walked with him. But when we arrived in, he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. So even when he was in chains in Rome, this man came to bring comfort to him. And then Paul says, the Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. You know very well how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus. So even the closest one who believed in Paul, loved Paul, stopped and turned away from walking with Paul. The devil will stop people if they're not on the same path. And that's why it's important that we stay on the same path that we're walking to revival, because irregardless, it's our job to stay on the path we're on. You, therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So some of this was happening to Timothy. And he was being attacked. He was losing people who were walking with him. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship. So he doesn't say, oh, there's a way around it. He says, whatever is coming against you, it's there to get you to be discouraged enough to stop following the call of God, to stop pursuing the high call of God, to stop pursuing a real revival. And it's there to discourage you. And we've seen many people walk down this path who became discouraged. And no one leaves this path saying, oh, the devil got me, I'm out of here. Usually it's, they find another word. Oh, God's told me this and told me that. Trying to save their pride. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about people who move away. I'm talking about people who change the path. They start speaking against praying in tongues, the message of obedience and in worship and fasting and all those things. Not the ones who God's called to a different city or something else. We want you to, you know, eventually we assume everyone who comes through here will, most of us will be around the world somewhere else preaching the same gospel. We don't want to just all get trained and stay in one little room, amen? We want to change the world. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So you must endure hardship. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So being a soldier means you endure hardship and you, you let go of meeting your own needs and you let go of the whole drama that's in the world. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, in context, you know what that means? The rules are you cannot finish the race if you go around the hardship. The hardship is part of the rules. The struggle, the suffering, the battle that comes against you as you follow God is part of the rules. Think of it as one of those races where... You have not just the flat ground that you race on, but say the 400-meter race where they have, uh, you have to jump over things. And and have you ever seen that where they have to jump over things? And like, let's just say that the race is the 100-yard dash with those, uh, someone help me what it's called that they jump over. Hurdles. 100-yard hurdle race. So you line up and they go, bang, run. Everyone starts running. All nine other racers jump over the hurdles, and you just run alongside of yours, and boom, you killed it. Yay, I'm the winner, but you avoided the hurdles. And that's the kind of the comment he's saying here. You can't win a race if you cheat. It's impossible to win the race that God has you on if you don't jump over the hurdles. And the road to the high call is littered with hurdles, 
with hardships, with attacks, with lies, with wrong doctrine, with many different paths. And if you remember, recall me saying many times, the number one way to destroy a man's vision is to give him two. And that's what the enemy is great at, coming alongside when God said, this is a path I have you on. And then right when things get hard and difficult, you'll hear a whisper say, I've got another path for you. You'll be much more successful without the battle, without the hurdles. And so if you get that in you, you start doing things because you've lost hope in the power of prayer. When you believe in the power of prayer, it makes you trust in the power of prayer to change things in your life, and it makes you pray. What if I were to tell you the only way things are going to change for you, your family, for your calling, is you got to pray. You can't go up to an anointing line and get someone to lay hands on you. You can't pay them $1,000 to say, I now call you an apostle. Just because some man or woman lays hands on you and says, I anoint you as an apostle, does not make you an apostle. One man I know, he's got lots of followers. Followers to me are kind of the, when you, you can capture people by something they want, and they start to follow your teaching. And every one of them, he'd run into him. Oh, you do this? Yeah, you pray in tongues? Yeah, you're a pastor. And so he had he littered the field with hundreds and hundreds of pastors who were just people now calling themselves pastors. But God never called them to pastors, so they were being slaughtered all over the place, you know, because they were listening to a man in their own ambition. What if I were to tell you the only way you're going to see real, long-lasting success is through prayer, through praying in the Holy Ghost, through prayer intercession, if I say that, for your family, for your finances, for revival. If that was the only, only way, your only option, then we might be encouraged to keep praying and do less, pray more. I know that sounds contrary to a lot of messages out there. Pray more, do less. Why? Because we want what happens is that God will work through us to do something. So we will be doing something in the long run, but it must be birthed first in prayer and come from prayer, not from our actual doing. I think it's important for everyone to be active doing certain things. Yes, you know, one young man I I picked on, in a sense, he was single, not working, and we were doing a church cleanup one Saturday. I said, hey, we're going to do church cleanup Saturday from whatever, from 9 in the morning till noon, three hours. Oh, man, that's too bad. That's my prayer time. And I said, what do you mean that's your prayer time? Well, that's my allotted prayer time, so i, I got to pray. I can't do help. And now he's single. And I said, now, wait a minute. What are you doing Saturday night, say, from 8 till 11? Oh, i got plans to go with my friends to go bowling. Well, why don't we just cancel the bowling and you move your prayer time to there, and then you come and help us with the church. So he was using that as an excuse to hide behind helping. Well, i got to pray. Well, if you're a mom or a dad and you're working a job full-time and you got kids, I understand that you know this is the only time I really got to pray. I need to pray more than help. Got it. Absolutely. Get your rear end in prayer. Get out of helping with the chairs. But if you got time and you can move and shuffle things around, Get your act together and start helping. It won't hurt you. I had a bunch of Bible college students one time and went over the handbook with them uh, when they started to get lazy because part of our rule was you had to serve. When I say serve, you had to clean the toilets in the church, in the sanctuary, in the Bible college. You had to go help in the food bank and in the kitchen downstairs, community kitchen. And it was three hours a week. And after a while, they started to complain, you know, this is a tough three hours. And so I brought the handbook out and read to him, you know, you signed up for this, three hours of volunteer work. And I said, oh, wait, I forgot. It's not in the handbook. I'm so, so sorry. It's not three hours of volunteer. We're paying $100 an hour. And and they all, like, eyes got big. And I said, see how when I pay you something, you're motivated? That's immaturity. That's flesh. You should be willing to serve God without charge. Anyways, 
get your act together. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. But not in things to build your ministry, things to serve God. I just got to add that as a, I don't want to just tell people not to pray, not just pray and don't do stuff, but do the right stuff. So let me go back here. We've got to read in context. Verse 4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes, well, as a soldier, we just do what we're told. As a soldier, all your needs are met, not by your labor, but by God's supply. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So in context, according to the rules, you cannot avoid the hardships. You've got to grow up. When I say you, I mean we got to grow up and be willing to know that there's hardships coming from all levels of the devil trying to stop you from following the calling in you of God and the assignment that God has for you. And so he's going to try to get you out of prayer and get you to stop believing in the power of prayer and the necessity of prayer. And the moment you stop believing in the power of prayer and the necessity of prayer, you become a doer. If I'm not going to wait on God to change things, I'm going to go do it myself. There's a whole message in that. Then verse 6. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now, in context, what does that mean? That the, the crops that come forward, some of the fruit that comes forward at first, when you're following the will of God, investing into the kingdom of God, the crops you must, take of, you must eat of first is not talking about wealth, prosperity. It's not talking about success in ministry. It's not talking about miracles. It's not talking about anointings. The crop that you must first partake of that comes forward when you first start on this path is the crop, the fruit called persecution, hardships, suffering. And he's basically saying, this is the path you're on. Verse 7, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. So even if I'm changed, the word of God is not chained. And now let me just pause there, and I'm going to preach here for a few minutes. You may feel embarrassed about the path that you're on. When you go around, say, to a family reunion, and here you've been following God, and he brought you down a path, a singular focused path. Pray, seek God through prayer and fasting and worship, maintaining the word, confessing the word, uh, co-laboring with the Holy Spirit, that you are on this path, and it's cost you. You can't work extra jobs to pay off your house. It's cost you because he's asked you to lay down things that normal people don't lay down. And you show up to your family reunion and you're... And I, this is, I, I hope this isn't poverty thing because it's not poverty to live within your means while you follow God. That's not poverty. Poverty is to believe that you don't deserve or are not on a path to prosperity. But you're on a path of living within your means as you follow God and so your car hasn't been renewed in a decade. And, you know, there's people in your family that buy a new car every three years. And you show up in your unrenewed decade. That means it's already a few decades old. And you show up in, in your car, and there's your family in their great big house. They're hosting everything. It's, it's lobster and steak. And you're sneaking lobster into your coat to take some home. And, like, I haven't lost her in too many years. My Lord, just when I was about to make enough money, God told me to give it away. And here you are. Uh, I'm poking fun, but you don't want to park your car around back. You want to park your car right in the middle of the Lexuses and the BMWs. And I believe there's a day of prosperity for all of us within tied to overcoming hardship. 
not without overcoming hardship. I believe there's a prosperity in your family of your family serving God tied into staying within the rules of not running from hardship. Pastor Dave told me one time, because you all know his boys, they were pretty rambunctious, and they had no problem drinking once in a while, and and I became good friends with all of them, and they respected me, never judged me or anything, because I never really judged them. But we had, every once in a while, a preacher would come through and say, I'm going to get Dave's kids on the right track. You know, I'm going to show them how it's done. So he would go spend time with the Roberson boys and go to the bar with them and drink a, a beer with them to try to say, hey, I'm like one of you. And Dave said, yeah, the moment he took that beer, they lost respect for him. In the name of trying to win someone over, they broke the rules. And so I want you to understand something. Your family may not understand you. They may think you're crazy for the path that you're on. Why aren't you moving? Maybe you've heard this. Why haven't you just moved here or done that or taken this job? Have you applied here? Have you tried this? Have you done that? I went through that, and this is what I did. And now look at me. You've heard all that a thousand times. Don't be embarrassed because your life is preaching to them. They may not understand it. They may not agree with it. They may not like it, but be clear, they respect it. When I was young, I started off going to youth, and I made a decision to follow God, and it alienated me from my Christian friends at the time. And after a few years, uh, one of the guys came up to me and said, you know, we had a little thing uh, the other day when they asked us to say, who, who do we admire the most in our life? And I said, you, Alan, because when I saw that you made it, that encouraged me that I can make it. And see, so they may not understand you and your broken down car and your lack of living like the world, but they will respect it and it will encourage them that they, if they ever choose to, can go down a path and make it. So verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. There's no way around this walk without accepting I have to go through hardships. If you're not ready yet, then you may not think you're ready, but if God thinks you're ready, the only reason you're here, the only reason God's called you here, is because he knows you're ready to walk through any hardship that comes your way and not change course. Consider what I'm saying, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus the eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. If I died with him, we shall also live with him. This is a process that you are on right now, that you're dying with him. If we endure, what, the sufferings, the attacks of the enemy, the discouragement, the, the moments. Now remember, what does he first start off telling Timothy? Talks about his tears. Those aren't tears of joy. Those are tears of sadness. Those are tears when God says, I want you to do this. And you go, I'm not ready. I can't do it. Your outward man's screaming. Your emotions are screaming. But your inward man is ready. And God thinks you're ready. And like me, I'm sure many of us and all of us in this room have walked forward obeying God with fear and trembling that you were going to fail. You're waiting for the axe to fall. You're waiting for God to say, oh, you know, I picked you. I've changed my mind. I found someone better. We've all waited for that moment and it never came. You're still here. You're still alive. And in this suffering here is not talking about sickness and disease. It's talking about persecution, Attacks of people, abandonment of people, all those things, hardships that the enemy brings. The enemy will bring sickness, I'm sure, but we don't have to accept that. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. These few verses here I'm going to close with. If we died with him, there's no success with God without dying to yourself. It's impossible to find a race, a path, God-ordained. Now, there's God-accepted. 
There's much of the American church preaches the gospel of keep your life. They don't say it this way, and it's not understood this way, but you keep the power of your life, and you ser- we serve him. We give our offerings, we give our time, we do good works for the community, we help rescue people, and God bless everyone who gets rescued. But you don't have to die to do that. If you haven't noticed yet, when you started down this path, you may not have been told this when you started by the Holy Ghost. But you figured it out along the way, hey, I'm dying here. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that was included. When Pastor Dave first got me encouraged to pray in tongues, my motivation was not to die. But I figured out my motivation didn't matter as long as I prayed in tongues. For we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. So when you hear a message about how to reign with God. I'm starting to preach too much here. I'm going to go over time. How to reign in the kingdom of God. You're a king and a priest of God. You should be buying the nicest house in the neighborhood. Act like a king. You're a child of God. We're to reign with Christ. Well, that kind of reign here means that you have to die first before you can reign. Because the danger is you can be someone of capability in the natural. Charismatic, strong personality, articulate, bold naturally. And you can rise to the top, but it was never God taking you there. It was people taking you there. And that could happen even as a preacher, as a minister, as a prophet. If you start prophesying the right thing, you'll have a crowd so big giving you money because they like it. But we don't want to be promoted by man, do we? We want to be promoted by God. And in God's promotion, you have to accept dying, have to accept hardship, you have to accept uh, warfare, and relying on prayer and on God. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God doesn't change. You cannot go to God with a separate plan. And say, God, I like your plan, but I have a different plan for you. That's partly what it means here, that he remains faithful. He doesn't change. And if you follow him, this is the cost. This is the cost of revival, a full revival, complete revival. We're not just after the miracles. You might say, why is it taking so darn long? Can I say darn in church? Why is it taking so darn long for revival to break out? Because it's not just a revival of miracles. It's a revival of integrity, of doctrine, of love, of holiness. It means that you have to know God as well as Gary knows God. You have to love God as much as um, Leah loves God, or love people as much as Leah loves people. Oh, that, that leader, they're so nice to everyone. You can cuss at them and they give you a hug. And that means if you're part of the body, you've got to grow up too. It's not just one person. It's all of us together in the fullness of doctrine, of love, of integrity, holiness, and of miracles. When we talk about Joel's army, a lot of people get excited because, hey, I get to get in on the fun prayer. You know, no, Joel's army is a, a death sentence for everyone, not just the preachers. It means that you've got to die, too. And you've got to lay your life down, too. You don't just to jump into the fun stuff. You've got to jump into the hard stuff, too. We're on a great road. I want to encourage you that God's grace is on us to walk through whatever the devil and hell throws against you. And if you're in a moment of discouragement, get encouraged. Just This is what Paul's telling Timothy. Son, you can't get around it. You've got to learn how to walk through it. And the only way you walk through it is you trust in God wholeheartedly that is taking you to the place of revival. And number two, you put your trust and practice into prayer because prayer is what changes things. Let's be people of prayer and let God do through us instead of giving up on prayer and going and being busy doing things. Because they're two complete different paths. One will get us to revival. One will get us not to revival. And we want to get there. We come this far. A lot of times, if not half the times of my day, I think about, is it worth it? Then you realize you got nowhere else to go. And then you realize you're on this big lake and you started swimming with excitement and encouragement. Man, I'm changing the world. And then along the way, you hit a few waves 
of discouragement and struggle and battle. And finally, when you're about to give up, you realize, you know, I'm closer to the other side of the shore than it is to go back. So I got to keep going forward. And many days, that's the only reason I'm still going forward is because that's all I can do. And I'm sure all of you understand that, that there's my flesh has decided I've given up trying to change you. I'm just going to put my heels in the ground and make you drag me to revival because I'm not going to go down that path willingly. Well, don't stop. You come this far, why would you stop? There's no other way you'll find in your heart if you search. There's no other way, no other place to go. God did that on purpose. He believes in you. That's the only reason you're here. He believes you're going to finish it. You're going to finish your course and run your race within the rules and win your race. Amen. You are dismissed and we'll see you at 10 o'clock.